Uh, usually, whenever I preach at a church I've never preached at, I usually try to give myself a little background. Uh, give yourself a little background so you at least know who's preaching behind your pulpit. Uh, and so I guess I'll, as the Lord directs my heart, I guess I'll start off with that, and then we're going to go into uh, the message tonight. But uh, I was raised up in an old-time Baptist church, an old-time Baptist family down in Lafayette, Tennessee. And when I tell you that I hated it, I hated it. I hated, I tell people all the time I had a drug issue growing up, and that was the fact that I was drugged to church each and every time the doors were open. I hated it. I would come up with each and every excuse that I could. I'd wake up some days and I'd say, well, uh, Dad, my head's hurting a little bit. He goes, well, we got some ibuprofen. Get you a few pills and go. I'd go up to Mom and I'd say, Mom, my stomach's hurting. She said, well, we got some Sprite. You can drink you some Sprite and we'll go to church. And I understand within the day and age that we live in, that probably wouldn't be so acceptable. But I'm thankful for my family. One day... We were headed to Lafayette down on a Saturday evening to get groceries. Mom and Dad stopped in the back of, in the Walmart parking lot there, and they asked me. They said, "Son, are you lost?" And they said, "And if you're lost, it's okay. We'll get out of this car and we'll pray with you right now." And let me tell you, Mom and Dad were the people that would do that. So I said, no, I'm not. And that tore me all to pieces. That night was so hard for me to sleep that I knew that if I had died in that moment, I'd wake up and be in a devil's hell. It was so hard to sleep for me that night. Conviction had just settled and dwelled within my heart. We woke up Sunday morning and uh, I, I was, it was actually the first time that I did not fight going to church. I quickly got my clothes on and we went on to Pleasant Grove in Westmoreland where dad was pastoring at the time. And mom was my Sunday school teacher at the time and we had broke into Sunday school classes and before I do it, I was just bawling my eyes out and mom said, well son, what's wrong with you? I said, mom, I'm lost. So I went up to that altar. My dad prayed right next to me, a man who I thought the sun and moon rested upon his shoulders. I looked up at him for a split second. I said, Dad, I don't know what to do. And he looked and said, Son, I can't do anything for you. I'll pray for you, but that's about it. It made me realize my faith didn't need to be in him, but it had to be in God. And as soon as I knew it, that trouble was just swept away and God gave me a peace that I still to this day have never felt before. And I praise God for a no-so salvation. So I was seven years old at the time. Eight years down the road, I was about 15 years old. I had gone in with the wrong crowd there at school. I decided to play football and in middle school and took that with me to high school and I got stuck with the wrong crowd. My attention wasn't on church and the work of God. 
So dad, he was preaching at Harmony down in Nashville, Tennessee, where he had pastored at the time then. And apparently they had a great service and I didn't know a thing about it. But I, what I do realize is that dad stood up and, the, and he said, if you don't feel the Spirit of God, there's something wrong. So I started thinking to myself, there's something wrong. So I went back to my bedroom there at mom and dad's house and I started praying and I said, well, Lord, uh, I know you saved me and, uh, but I know I've just gotten in, mixed in with the wrong crowd and I'll just, I just want to do better. I want to be closer to you. And I'll say this, the only person that's stopping you from being as close to the Lord as you can is you. And so within a week, I felt myself get better. The wrong crowd that I was in, I realized I didn't have an influence over them. They influenced me, so I decided to push that out. I decided my, my walk was getting better, so then by that next Sunday after service, man, it was a good service, or at least I enjoyed myself. And then... That that afternoon, I went back to my bedroom and I said, Lord, I'm liking this. I want to be closer to you. God said, well, preach. I said, God, I don't want to be that close to you. (laughs) I ran from it for about seven months. My dad, he ran from his for about two years as I remember him telling it all the time, all the time when, when he preached. And so I, I got, I decided to get smart with the Lord one day, and I said, Lord, you let my dad run for two years, you're gonna let me run for two years, whether you like it or not. And what I realized then is that you do not command the Lord. <laughs> I owned up to it out of the fear of my life, to be honest with you, not of willingly, but I owned up to it out of the fear of my life. I'd asked my wife the other day, I'm forgetting right now, I'd asked her the other day how old I was. I guess 23, 24, I'm somewhere around there. But eight years I've been trying to preach. And this has been the best eight years of my life. And I would encourage you, church, if you've been saved by the grace of God and a member of the Lord's church, And if you feel like you don't have a job, ask God for something. It might not be the answer that we want, but I can tell you this, the job that He gives us, if we set it out within our heart to do it to the best of our abilities and for His honor and glory, there will be nothing else that we get enjoyment out of. I guess I now get into this. But if you go into the sixth, go with me to the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew. I'm going to start right there in the fifth verse. I uh, I asked the Lord after we got done with service at Friendship this morning about what He wanted me to preach, and uh, usually I have a thought, but tonight I don't seem like I have a thought. But I've got a starting place. So we're just going to trust the Lord and go with it. But in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, Jesus was doing the speaking here uh, to His disciples. He said, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. But verily I say unto you, 
they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to skip to the 21st verse. It says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'm going to stop right there for just a few moments of time. And as I began to look at this verse of Scripture and, and pray about it, about what it be the Lord would have us to speak on, you know, I, I believe this, this, uh, t- this night, to, uh, y'all are going to have to forgive me. I'm so used to saying this morning at Friendship, and I know it's not morning time, so y'all are just going to have to forgive me in some of those uh, uh, English uses, but... Uh, uh, you know, uh, I was thinking about this tonight. I was trying to pray about this. And uh, I was thinking about prayer and communion with God. You know, I'm afraid so oftentimes uh, amongst our churches, the thing that has crippled us so much down through the years is that when somebody comes in and gets miraculously saved by the grace of God, That's it. We don't do anything. We sit back and we just expect them that they know the commandment that God has given and that they know that they should grow closer to the Lord, but there's nobody to help guide them and teach them in that aspect. So then when they walk get back out into the world and act like nothing happened, I've seen a lot of our people say, well, what went wrong? I believe that's crippled us. And I believe we're starting to see the effects of it in our churches. And I'm not trying to tell any of this to discourage you, but yet I would rather encourage you this morning or tonight, uh, if no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, if you've been saved by the grace of God, there is a job that each and every one of us can do. And I believe us as the younger, we are to look to our older for guidance and direction. But yet, if the older turns their head away, you know what then we can do? Go on our knees and seek after God for guidance. Which that should be the very first aspect and direction of all things. You know, there's people who ask, how do I pray? And I say all that to say this. 
If we want to start seeing things turned around amongst our churches, you know what it does? It starts with me. It starts with getting myself in line. And how do I get myself in line? Well, I need to have a closer walk with God. Well, how do you have that, preacher? You see, Jesus here, He was given trying to teach His disciples about prayer. I believe prayer is the greatest thing that God has given His people. And it is so misused. You know, we were talking about prayer requests last night. And, you know, I know we'll go about 20 minutes. I've heard a preacher say one time, we'll go about 20 minutes asking for prayer requests, but then we'll spend about two minutes in prayer. And how sad that truly is. You know, I pastored a church down in Tennessee and there was a young man there. Uh, he would get to praying and man, the Lord would fill him up while he prayed. And so you know what I did? I stopped praying. I listened to him. And somehow through that, his prayer became my prayer. And I started going, well, amen, brother. Oh, and then I got filled up listening to him. And that went past, I guess, their time schedule. And they all came to me after church. They said, now, pastor, that, that, that brother had no right to do such a thing like that. Folks, you know, my biggest, my biggest enemy in our, in, in the church is that clock. I actually had to tell, I actually had to tell friendship when I started there to take that clock down because I couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand timing myself. I couldn't stand preaching for 20 minutes looking at it and start going, well, I'm starting to get a bit hungry. When we're in the house of God, time shouldn't be a thing. We're on God's time, not ours. We should be about God's business, not ours. And that's what Jesus here was starting to teach them about prayer, about when you go to pray, you're about the business of the Father. So you don't need to use vain repetitions like the heathens do. You know, sometimes when I pray, I find myself doing that quite a bit. Repeating myself. I know people say we need to leave it at the Lord's feet. Nah, I truly believe that. Oh, but sometimes my carnal nature will kick in and I'll start thinking, well, God, I know I asked you about this two weeks ago. I thank you for God. So, so here it is again. I'm pleading on my behalf. Here it is again. Then another two weeks will go by and I'll say, well, God, I thank you for God about it. So here it is again. Well, no, God hasn't, doesn't forget about His children. It's just sometimes God has to work on the other end. He said, don't use vain repetitions. Don't repeat yourself. Don't stand in the synagogues like the heathen do. Don't make yourself known unto men. He said, they'll have their reward. You know what their reward is? It's just the praises of men. It's all it ever is, even if that. It's all it ever is. But folks, we shouldn't be about pleasing men. We should be about pleasing God. I believe Galatians, Paul was writing the first chapter there, and he said, uh, he said, do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I have yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So what did Jesus try to tell them about prayer? He said, well, 
Number one, when you go and pray, you will go into your closet. And when you go into your closet, you will shut the door. You know, lots of times growing up, me and my cousins, my siblings, we'd be out in the yard and we'd be playing around. And all of a sudden, we'd walk back in. And of course, we'd leave that door wide open. And you know what mama said? Mama would scream out from the house, Boy, were you raised in a barn? So you know what that meant? I gotta go shut that door. But you know, I started thinking about that and felt sometimes when, when we pray, or at least I know when I do, uh, sometimes I don't shut that door fully. I know we talk about the altar and the mourner's bench, and I don't want to, I don't want to neglect it. I think it's a great, a great Baptist tradition that's been passed down. But I tell you this, at the end of the day, there's no power in it. Only power comes from God. But I tell you this, the best services I've been in is when God's people just come around the altar and they wouldn't just do anything except pray and pray. And when they think they didn't pray enough, they pray a little while longer. And let me tell you, when they would pray, oh, it seemed like heaven came down. Folks, I tell you, when we pray, you need to shut the door. Don't let anybody get in. Don't let the world come in. Shut the door where it's just you and God. Nobody else. Nothing else. I know we've got cares and we've got worries and the troubles of this life just burden us down. But when it comes to the holy communion with us and God, shut the door. Because let me tell you, I guarantee you this. Probably some of us weren't raised in a barn. They taught us to shut our doors. They shut our doors. And then Jesus also said, when you pray, I know people call it the Lord's Prayer, but what it was, was an exemplary prayer. He didn't say you need to pray exactly like I pray, but you need to pray in the same manner. Well, what was that manner? He started out, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Great is your name. Folks, I tell you this, when we talk and pray to God, we need to realize who we are talking to. We need to realize the position He's in and the low position that we're in. We need to realize that when we're praying, let me tell you, when we're praying, we're on holy ground. We need to respect it. Respect Him. Reference Him. Fear Him. Respect Him. Reference. Know who you're talking to. I'm not saying you need to use all these big, great prayers or these great words and adjectives. I'm not good when it comes to vocabulary, so I don't really know what the right word would be to put in there. But I tell you this, people have asked before, well, how do I talk to the Lord? You need to talk to the Lord as you would talk to a friend. Because what was it that Exodus teaches us? 
When God met with Moses on top of that mountain, He said, God talked to Moses as a man would talk to a friend. Yes, He's for those who have been saved. He's our Father. He's our King. We're His servants. But we're able to cry, He's our friend. Hollow, holy is His name. He said, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, the biggest battle that I found out, especially throughout the time that I've tried to, to preach and try to have a closer walk with the Lord, it's the battle of my flesh and the battle of my fleshly desires. Because let me tell you what, my flesh, my will isn't necessarily what God's will is. I'd be lying to you if I said it was. It really isn't. It wasn't my will that he should call me to preach. In all honesty, I didn't want it. That seven months that I ran from it, I named off people that I knew could do a better job to, than what I could. I didn't want it. But God's will be done. Be honest with you. I didn't want a pastor. But God's will be done. Now I tell you this, I love pastoring. I didn't want to move up to Indiana. That sounds pretty bad, I know. But I tell you this, let God's will be done. Charles Spurgeon said one time, if it's better for me to serve God when I'm sick, then let me be sick. If God thinks it's better for me to serve Him when I'm poor and I don't have nothing, then it must be better for me to have nothing so that way I could still proclaim His name. But in all things, let Thy will be done. The only way we can see an outcome in anything is if God's will is done. And I'll tell you this, when me and my wife, I'm not trying to say a sob story or nothing or a pity story or anything. Don't think that. But I'll tell you this, when friendship called me almost two years ago about pastoring them, uh, you know, God already told me, hey, you need to be with that group of people up there. And I told Brother Jeff Thompson, who called me, I said, Brother Jeff, yeah, the Lord already let me know. Then the very next day, I woke up and I said, what about jobs? What about homes? What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? And my wife, she tries her very best all the time. But sometimes it just doesn't get through my mind. She kept telling me, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I didn't realize it would be okay until one day I was studying. And uh, I believe this is the book of Matthew. And... Uh, Jesus has told His disciples, He said, think of the fowls of the air. They don't think about their next meal because God provides it for them. And He said, how much better are you in the eyes of God than the fowls of the air? I went to work that day at the barbershop I was working at. I was sobbing. I was crying. I was cutting hair. My, my station was right next to a window. I saw an itty-bitty bird fly down. I had to stop cutting hair and I had to start crying. My customer, he asked me, he said, man, what's wrong with you? I said, buddy, God thinks it'd be a whole lot better than that bird. He said, yeah, whatever. Oh, but I tell you what. Let God's will be done. 
He said, your father already knows what you're in need of before you even ask him. How great is that? That he knows and searches the deepest thoughts and intents of our hearts and our needs. God already knows it, but I tell you this, we need to be like Hezekiah when we go into our closet and just spread it all out there before God and just say, God, here I am. I'm a no good, worthless, filthy servant, but here I am for your plea in all things. Thy will be done. In all things. And you know what I found out? When God's will, when, 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 you, when you try to go after the will of God, you know what happens? God's will then becomes your will. And what you want done. And what you, what you want accomplished. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. You know what that meant? It meant that he had God's will at the center of his heart. And there was nothing more that he wanted accomplished. How great would it be if we raised up a generation of saved individuals who were people after God's own hearts. And I believe this. It can happen. You know, I sort of, when, I, when we were down in Tennessee and I was raised up down in Tennessee, there'd be people to go in Tennessee all the time and in these Baptist churches and they'd say, well, things just like aren't the way that they used to. Things just like they ain't like the way that they used to. They're not ever going to get any better. And you know what? I started to believe them for a second, but then I started to think to myself, wait a minute. God is still the same God. God is still in the saving business. And let me tell you what, there was a young man down in Kentucky about a few weeks ago who owned up his call to preach. God is still calling men out to preach, folks. Praise His name for it. There's still work that needs to be done. We're not down and out for the count just yet. Though we like to think it, there's still a whole world full of lost individuals that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus. Jesus sent out the great commission before He ascended into heaven. What that mission was, was that the disciples was to go to all the earth, all the nations, spreading the gospel to what? Every single creature and person that they came in contact with. A few years ago in our Baptist history, uh, we decided to drop a few names, and I'm not going to go through all that, but we decided to pick up the name Missionary Baptist. And the reason why we decided that was because we believed in fulfilling out the great commission that God had sent out. And we believed in being mission-minded and having a mission work ethic. Now I'll tell you this. We don't, you know, the, the name on this church's door, Faith Missionary Baptist, it didn't say whenever I walked in, whenever I drove up to the parking lot this evening, it didn't say Faith Not on the Wall Baptist. It didn't say Faith Twiddling My Thumbs Baptist. It said Faith Missionary Baptist. Folks, I tell you this. 
Oh, we often thank revivals for the lost and how the lost need to come in and be saved. And I tell you this, praise God that there's been some that's been seeking this week. But I tell you, revival's not for the lost. It's for the saved. It's for God's people. And before we could see lost people coming in, seeking God, we ourselves first need to seek after God for all He's worth. I tell friendship a lot of the times that our slogan needs to be push. P-U-S-H. I had people ask me all the time, what, 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 why is that? What's that? Pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. We read in Genesis about Jacob there and how one night he was wrestling with an angel. And the angel said, well, let me go. And he said, no, I'm not going to let you go until you have blessed me. How good would it be if we got into our prayer closets and said, God, I'm not leaving until I know something is going to happen. How great would it be if we just wrestled with God day in and day out. Matter of fact, Paul, when when he was writing the end of the first Thessalonian letter there, He said what? Rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing. Have daily and hourly and minutely communication with God. Pray without ceasing. Oh, and Jesus said, Thy Father which you see in secret, He will reward you openly. I believe this. I believe you can tell when a preacher has been in his prayer closet. Because God just gives him liberty to preach his word and power. I believe you can tell when a lay member has spent time in their prayer closets. Because when we sing the old songs of Zion, it seems like their face just starts glowing as Moses did when he saw the face of God on top of Mount Sinai. I believe it'd do us a bit of good to get back to the practice of the altar. And not just this altar, but the altar in our home. The altar in our job. The altar with our family. I believe it'd do us a bit of good. Now Jesus... My heart, y'all just pray for me. My heart's going everywhere tonight. I believe we just need to go on back to that 21st verse. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what you'll be thinking about. That's what you'd be striving for. Where your heart is, there your treasure is also. So lay not up for yourselves treasures here on this earth where men can come in, break through and steal and moth and rust corrupts it. 
We see a lot of fancy materialistic things out there. At least I know I do. I love sports vehicles. I don't know what it is, but I just love sports vehicles. And each time me and my wife, we go somewhere and I see a, a fancy Camaro or Mustang or a Corvette, I start thinking, man, I would love to have that. Be, be honest with you, I'm an unsatisfied person. A few years ago, I totaled out my car, so I went uh, to the bank, got myself a loan, went to the CarMax parking lot there in Rivergate, Tennessee. I pulled out with the Kia Optima, and it was a newer model at the time, right, and, I, and I thought to myself I was satisfied with that until I saw a 1995 Camaro. And I thought to myself, man, oh, I want that sucker. Oh, I'd love to have the money for that. I'm not content. I'm not satisfied. But you know, what I've learned is that the closer I try to get with the Lord, the less the materialistic things of this world mean to me. I don't care if I'm just a beggar on the side of the road that's just living in a cardboard box. Give me Jesus. I'd rather have Him. Me and my wife, right before we moved up here, it was hard for us to find a home. And so the Lord had told me, He said January 16th is when you need to move. So January 16th, we packed up our bags, we moved, a few weeks beforehand, before we found a house, my wife asked me, she said, what are we going to do? I said, well, I guess we're just going to sleep underneath the bridge under there in Columbus. And she looked at me and she said, no, you will. I'll find somewhere else. But God blessed and God provided. Oh, and I tell you this, I don't care if my house is a tore down shed. I'd rather have Jesus. You can give Him to me and I'll take Him over this world a million times over. I heard a song the other day that said, if I had a thousand lives to live, I'd give them all to Him. Brother Derek already said about the personal intimacy we're able to have with God. When we're saved, we're adopted into His family. We become heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And and in Romans 8th chapter there, Paul even said that now that we've been adopted, we're able to cry out, Abba, Father! How great is that of a privilege that we have as God's people to not only say that He's Lord, but He's my Father. I've not studied this out, but I know there's several other brethren that they've said when they look back in the Greek text of Abba, Abba means Daddy. Oh, how great it is to say Daddy. You know, 
I was trying to to think of this on our way up here. I'll say this and I'll I'll try to be done. I know I need I need to stop saying that. My wife got on to me a few weeks ago that whenever I say I try to be done, I'll preach for another thirty minutes or so. But uh I'm just gonna try my best to follow the Lord here. But uh, you know, I started to think about the privileges that we have as God's people. We walk by faith and not by sight. Isn't that what Paul said? We don't see God, but we know that He moves as we know the wind blows upon the trees and the bushes. We're able to see it and it's evidence. And it's evidence when God's Spirit leads somebody to do something. It's evidence in that. But we walk by faith. I've never seen my Lord, but i tell you this, I've felt Him as strong as I have down here as it feels like He sat beside of me. Never seen Him. But those of us who have had faith, who have repented and had faith and God had saved. What is it? There's a song called Beulah Land. It says, I've just got a few more days down here to labor. But then my faith is going to end in sides. Revelation 22. John said, and they shall see His face. Where where God even said, they will be my people. I will not be ashamed to be called, for them to be called my people. And then I will be their God and they won't be ashamed to call me their God. If we've been saved by the grace of God tonight, I want to let you know this world is not our final destination. We're just traveling through, passing by. That's what the 11th chapter of Hebrews says about Abraham. He called himself a pilgrim and a foreigner looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. How great is that to not only think about it, but to know His Spirit bears with our spirit that we are the children of God. I've had people, I've you know, down throughout, to, as long as I can try to remember about, uh, oh, trying to witness to them, and you ask them if they're saved, you know what they'll say? Well, I, I think I'm saved. Or I was baptized, or I was this, or I was that. I tell you this, and I'll try to hush it. But over the years, as I've grown up in all of our churches, it just about what makes me want to cringe when we sing the days of the week song and people will say, Well, it must have been the hand of the Lord. I cringe my teeth real hard because. There ain't a doubt in my mind that it was the hand of the Lord. 
And folks, if you've been saved by the grace of God, you'll know what I'm talking about. I don't know how God, you know, Isaiah 1 and 18, Isaiah the prophet says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins may be red like scarlet, they shall be as white as wool. Though they shall be red like crimson, they shall be white as snow. My mind can't comprehend how God is able to take a filthy sinner like me, dip it in His blood, and make him clean and pure within, but I'm glad He does. And he lets you know. <laughs> we talk about being broken hearted, how the lost need to come to the Lord with a broken heart and contrite spirits. You know what I found out as a saved individual? It's good for me to come to the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. True revival happens when God's people are broken. Why is that? Because when we're broken, we realize there's nowhere else for us to go but to the Lord. I'm done. I hope and pray somebody got something out of that. But I above all pray... That God was glorified and lifted up.